going on from strength to strength and having fulfilled all the divine service in thy temple, even now we beseech thee, Lord our God, make us worthy of perfect loving kindness. Make straight our path, root us in thy fear, and bring us to the heavenly kingdom in Jesus Christ our Lord, with whom thou art blessed, together with thy all-holy good and quickening spirit, now and always, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. That's a very, uh, you know, the Orthodox end their sermons and their prayers with, be blessed now and unto the age of a- ages of ages. Amen. So I wonder where the vicar got that from. Doesn't have a, doesn't have a source there. Maybe he's a closet Orthodox. Who knows? Um, Let's see, money coming around. Not, no, there's not money coming around. You put money in. Uh, where does it go? Russia, yeah, Russia. The bishop was here last night. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't quite get a heads up. I saw the bishop at the, I sit on the board for the Siberian Lutheran Mission Society, and we have a meeting every January in Fort Wayne. So I sat next to the bishop when he was there. And uh, then we got a call from Dr. Tim Quill, who's the Russia coordinator at the seminary in Fort Wayne, when did we get a call? Thursday night? Morning. Thursday morning saying, now, you know, we had offered, we'll put him up, we'll put the bishop up, we'll house him, let us know what he needs. No, we don't need anything from you. Great. We get a call Thursday morning saying, he's on a bus from St. Louis to Chicago. Can you guys find a place for him to stay for two nights? Uh, t- starting tonight. And feed him dinner. And uh, so anyways, the bishop was here yesterday, so unfortunately you didn't get to see him, but that'll go to his place. Um, also, I'm supposed to make an announcement. Now, help me out. Where's Beth Kautz? If I get this wrong, correct me. It says, remind folks about signing up for a blood drive next Saturday, February 6th. The blood drive is next Saturday? Great. And uh, there'll be a couple people at the entrances, right? Yeah, so if you want to sign up, um, this is a great way to help the cause. If you want to sign up for the blood drive, at this entrance and at this entrance, you'll have a couple people there. It's next Saturday, February 6th. Um, we always have a good showing for that, I think. So maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> We'd love a good showing. Uh, so sign up for that if you're willing to give blood. Now, those of you who got tattoos recently, like Val, unfortunately, you can't give blood this year. Uh, hey, it is what it is, you know? You can't stop it. What did you get, Val? Yeah. I love Fred? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right here. Some barbed wire with I love Fred in the middle. Yeah. So this is the way it works. All right. Well, Val, no tattoos or uh, uh, no, uh, no giving blood. That's the way it is. All right. Open up to Psalm 32 and let's see if we can sort of finish this out now. You remember Pastor Bruzek talked for a couple weeks about the circle of anger and then sort of that outer circle. We've covered that. So unless there are questions... Um, I think we should keep going. Are there questions about the circle of anger? Any initial questions from last week? Anything you got that was confusing or maybe went unnoticed? Okay, good. Um, so then Psalm 32 led us out of the circle of anger into the circle of redemption. And uh, you remember from last week, there are a couple parts to the cir- circle of redemption. Everybody begins at the point of new life, right? This is baptism. This is Eden. But you remember, sin is primarily defined as broken relationship. And in a real sense, sin is also uh, broken humanity. And that'll be important as we look at the psalm. 
uh, sin has broken humanity. Because you remember in Eden, that's where humanity was at its fullest expression. And once Adam and Eve fall into sin and they're put outside of Eden, suddenly humanity is broken. I think that's part of the reason, and you can sort of test this. This is just off the cuff. But I think that's part of the reason why you have an angel, someone who is not fully human, now manning the gate back to Eden. Okay, there's got to be something to that. There's something to everything the Lord does. So why he puts an angel there, who knows? The other thing is, partly, you know, redemption of the fall comes in the Annunciation, and the Annunciation comes by way of an angel, okay? So there's something there, too. But sin is broken relationship and broken humanity. Now, what's sort of the objective metric for sin? If you had to pick an objective metric for sin or defining sin, what would it be? Objectively, because we don't work sort of in, you know, things can get very subjective, but the objective reality that defines what sin is and what sin isn't, what would you say? Yeah, Ten Commandments, uh, but you know, I think that was Bob, uh, you know, uh, in the Hebrew, it's not primarily the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Words, okay? And every word can be said how many ways? Two ways, law way and a gospel way. So, for instance, for Jesus... Are the ten words law or gospel? Gospel. He rejoices in it, right? He rejoices in having no other gods. He rejoices in the Sabbath. He rejoices in honoring his father and his mother. And then to you, obviously, they can come as law or as gospel as well. If you live faithfully the Christian life, these ten words become good news. It's a joy to come to church, right? It's a joy to honor your parents. Um, But this is sort of the objective metric for what sin is, the ten words. Words And you remember um, in Greek, and this will be important, the word for word is logos. Logos. So you have theology, God words, right? Theology. And Jesus is called the logos. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Now this is very important because this will come up when we get to the repentance point. So your objective metric is the ten words. Now, on the circle of redemption, and we talked about this briefly last week, what do you think is the most difficult point to pass? What's the most difficult point to pass? Yeah, repentance, right? Yeah, repentance. Now, for some of you, if you're the sinner, repentance is the most difficult point to pass. If you're the one who's been sinned against, it might be the mercy or the forgiveness point. It all depends on, on, you know, if you're a sinner or sinned against. But if you're the sinner, and that's what the psalm is about, this becomes the most difficult point to pass. This is where we stop. Now, why is that the most difficult point? Why is repentance so hard for us? Yes, one, yeah. You actually have to admit that you're wrong, right? You actually have to admit that you're wrong, and you have to admit that you want to change. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which simply means to turn around. Okay, so here's what happens. You sin, there's the cross. All sin is is walking away from Jesus. There's the cross, and you begin to walk this way. And repentance simply means that you turn back around and walk back to the cross. So partly you have to acknowledge you've been walking away, and partly you have to want to turn around and walk back in the other direction. I mean, let's just be real. Some sins are very damaging and some sins hurt a lot, even the person who's done the sin. But some sins are great fun. You know what I'm talking about, Betty. Like tattoos, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I've been to your house before. I know what goes on there. Yeah. I remember I came over for a shut-in visit, and you started pouring scotch, and I didn't know what was going on at that point. Have you ever been to Betty's for a shut-in visit? I know. <laughs> it's actually, I'll tell you what, Betty's, Betty's apartment, great fun. Then she gets you sort of liquored up, and then she says, let's sing some hymns. Imagine that. Imagine if Mueller had a couple scotches, what would happen? No, but you know that some sins are just plain out enjoyable, right? And some sins, you get so caught up, up in them. This is when you know you've come to the point almost of no return. You know that you're caught up in evil when you no longer see sin for sin. When you've so convinced yourself of your own lies. Okay? I mean, you see this all the time. Do anything. You treat your parents poorly for 20 years. After 20 years, you might actually think that that's the way people are supposed to live. You tell enough lies about someone, there comes a point where you actually begin to believe your own lies. <laughs> what sort of rubbed you the wrong way to start, and you sort of knew was wrong. Deep down, in your essence, you knew it wasn't correct. You do that for three or four months, guess what? You've actually convinced yourself that it's true. That's when you know you've hit rock bottom. Okay? Um, and I would suggest to you it's that type of sin that's most difficult uh, to get past. It's that type of sin where you've convinced yourself of your own lies. You know what, Betty? If you want to come to my house, then technically you wouldn't be a shut-in anymore. Uh, but you know what? If you want to come over for a drink sometime, my wife's, you know, my wife's pregnant, so she can drive us wherever we want to go. You want to go out someplace? I mean, it's up to you. You just let me know what you want. <laughs> Hopefully my wife's not here. She, you know. Okay. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Yes, I know. Yes, you might. Okay, moving on. So repentance. Repentance becomes the most difficult point. Now, I'd like to make one distinction, and I'm stealing this from, I think, Keith, who said it to Bruzek, who said it to me, so I could just say it's mine, but that wouldn't be fair. Uh, an apology... Tell me if I'm wrong. An apology is not the same thing as confession. And I think actually AOR said this to start. An apology is not the same thing as confession. If you've got a Bible, pop it open to 1 John chapter 1. So I want to show you something here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. This comes right out of the liturgy. You remember when the pastor stands up, he makes the invocation, Christ is present. And then he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We, we lie to ourselves. And then the congregation responds, but if we confess our sins, and the key word there is confess, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? Now, if you had to define an apology, what would it be? What's an apology? Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. It's like, it's like kids. You know, kids are good at apologies. They never quite know what they did wrong, but they're very quick to say, I'm sorry. You know, if you call them on it, you say, Emma, don't do that. She says, I'm sorry, Daddy. And then you say, what did you do? I don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, that's an apology. In its most basic sense, I'm sorry. Okay? However, an apology is very different than a confession. And I don't want to take, talk too much about this because... Pastor Bruzek will sort of lead you through a proper confession. 
not even privately, just what it means to confess your sins. But if you look here at uh, verse 9 of 1 John, it says, But if we confess our sins, God, or He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word there for confess, yes, who's got it? Uh, you're close. Homo logeo. Okay? Homo. Now, homo means same. And what does logeo mean? You just saw it here, the ten words, the logos. Same words. So this is how it could literally be read. But if we say the same words, the same words of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you remember, what's the metric, the objective metric for sin? The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. So to confess is simply to say what the Lord has already said in the Ten Commandments. Lord, this would be a proper confession. Lord, you said not to steal. Well, uh, let's give, I mean, hopefully none of you are stealing. Uh, let's give an, uh, one that might be more uh, applicable. Lord, you said not to bear false witness against my neighbor. I, however, have told lies about Joe, Sally, and Susie. Please forgive me. That's a confession. Why? Because you've spoken the same words the Lord has already spoken to you. To confess is not simply to say, I'm sorry. You know how easy it would be if everybody just said, I'm sorry? <laughs> but like a three-year-old, you'd never actually... Repent. That's not repentance. That's just trying to get somebody to like you again. Okay? Confession is to name one by one the sins you've committed. I've done A, B, C, and D. And guess what, Lord? In your ten words, you said, please, please, please don't do A, B, C, and D. Why? Because I loved you. I called you out of Egypt. I saved you. So if you want to be my child, please don't live that way. Guess what, Lord? I've done all these things. That's a confession. Okay? Now, are there questions about that? Yes? Yeah, right. Yep. You confess all of that. Full blast. That's why you say on Sunday... I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and by what, I, and by what I've left undone. But most sins that ruin a community are sins that are known by people. So yes, you or I might have an ill thought about someone. That, that won't necessarily shatter community in the same way it would if you or I told a lie about someone. Uh, but all things need to be confessed. That's why the general confession on Sunday is so helpful. You can't escape it. Even if you say to yourself, and this would be deception, I have no sins. At least I've not sinned against anybody. The confession says, by what I've done and by what I've left undone. You know, by what I know and by what I don't know. So all that's sort of wrapped up in the confession, but specific sins that ruin a specific community need to be confessed in specificity. Go ahead.
All right, look at your outline there. Under sin, and this just sort of runs you through the psalm, and we'll, we'll work our way past mercy, forgiveness, all the way to restitution. Sin, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now what that shows you is, guess what? Eventually sin, it doesn't just ruin your soul, it also ruins your body. Right? I mean, one of the great indicators that people are sort of on the wrong side of things is not only is their soul hurting, but everything else in their life is falling apart. Their health gets bad, their marriage gets bad, their temper gets bad. They just look bad. You've seen this, yes? Where people just look run down. That might be, I mean, it could be any number of things. Part of it is maybe they've been on the receiving end of sin, which also wears people down. But it, sometimes it's because they themselves have sinned. My bones wasted through my groaning. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You could only bear the Lord's lawful hand for so long. Eventually it kills you. Repentance, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. It's full exposure. Which is part of the reason why it's so difficult. I mean what you're essentially saying is we'll go before the Lord and we'll stand naked with all of our sins. No one wants to do that. I mean, there are sins, I would guess, that even your own spouse doesn't know you've committed. Or in your kids, what's that? Like that tattoo. Now everybody knows she's done it, right? But that's part of it, is there are sins that you've committed that only you yourself know, and part of confession is to say, I've done it. But mercy, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love, the, Greek, or the Hebrew word there is mercy, surrounds the one who trusts in him. Part of full exposure is entrusting yourself to Christ. And I would, I would at least propose to you that if you're unwilling to expose yourself, it's not because you're nervous about your sins, that's part of it, but it's because you actually don't pr trust that Christ will be merciful. You expect Christ to act like everyone else. You know, you've sinned against me, so I'm going to sin against you. An eye for an eye. Guess what? That's not the way he works. But part of our nervousness is our unwillingness to entrust ourselves to Christ. Forgiveness, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now look at verses 8 and 9. This is probably the next stumbling block. Once you've come through repentance, through mercy, remember repentance is full exposure. Through mercy, toward forgiveness, and then ultimately toward new life. You remember, and we've talked about this many times, Forgiveness is not the last word, it's the first word. There's more after that. Okay, there's more after forgiveness. But look at verses 8 and 9. I, the Lord, okay, I, the Lord. So suddenly, it's no longer David confessing. Who's speaking now? The Lord is. The personal pronouns change. It used to be, we've done this, I've done this, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Now it says, I, the Lord will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. 
Do not be like a horse or a mule. Now, this is fascinating because you remember sin was not only broken relationship but also broken humanity. And broken humanity means you're almost like animals. Think about an animal. If you tell your dog over and over again, don't do that, guess what? The dog is going to do it. <laughs> Why? That is animal, that's an animal's instincts. It is the exact same way with sin when it goes unconfessed and unforgiven. You're almost like an animal. And you've seen this, I promise you, even in the church, where people are so intent, and this comes after you sort of convinced yourself of your own lies, you're so intent on getting people that it's almost like you can't stop yourself. Right? You can't stop yourself. You see a group of people standing in the corner, and you can't stop yourself from going over and talking. I mean, that's how animals are. And what the Lord says is, when he forgives you, he doesn't only restore relationship, he also restores humanity. One of the great Lutheran fathers of the 20th century, Gustav Weingren, and I've told you this, I'm sure, he says, forgiveness allows men to be men, and women to be women, not animals. There's a reason the psalmist says, be not like a horse or a mule. You know, we could treat you all like animals, but that would be painful. You know, put a bit and a bridle and let's go in this direction. Instead, the Lord says, I forgive you. I restore humanity. Now I will teach you and instruct you, instruct you in the way that you will go. That makes sense? Thank you. You and I have had a good relationship today, actually. This is very helpful. Love you. So once you've been forgiven, once the Lord says, yeah, let's square it all up, you're not back to new life. You're not back to Eden until you've done some restitution, until you've begun to go in the way. Now, this is very specific usually to the sin. Okay, And you might think this is sort of a, a, a view of penance. It might be. The only difference is this is the Lutheran understanding. Penance for a Roman Catholic comes where? Right here. Until you do this, you can't be forgiven. Penance for a Lutheran comes after you've been forgiven on your way back to Eden. But it's specific to the sin. Okay? It's specific to the sin. And I would at least propose to you that let's say you've got the repentance thing down now. Let's say you're very willing to go to the person and say, you know what? Val, I've told lies about you, and I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. And Val says, you know what? I forgive you. There's mercy and there's forgiveness. My guess is the next stumbling block is this point. Why? Because you've told 25 other people a lie about Val. And even though Val's forgiven you, guess what those other 25 people still think? Yeah, still think she's done it, right? I mean, pick your sin, whatever your sin is, you know? Uh... Well, I don't know. I mean, pick your thing. Val doesn't give to the church. So you tell 25 people Val doesn't tithe. Well, then you go back to Val and say, Val, I found out you do tithe. I'm very sorry I've lied about you. I should never have said it. Please forgive me. Val says, I forgive you. You still have 25 other people who think that Val is, you know, not a Christian because she doesn't give to the church. So what do you do? What do you do? Go back to the 25 people and tell them you lied. That's the only way you can actually make wrongs right. Because remember, remember how sin works. It breaks relationship between you and God, between you and the person you've sinned against, and frankly, between you and the entire community. 
So until you've made restitution, community is not fully restored yet. This is the point. New life, Eden, that's where community is fully restored. You and Val might be restored. You and your spouse might be restored. But guess what? You and the community are not restored. And that still means community is broken. I mean, it was, it was, it was palpable to me this morning just how off your game all of you are. It's palpable. And I think part of that is because many of us have struggled to get through repentance. We've struggled to forgive those who have sinned against us. We've done it. We've forgiven them. But this hasn't occurred. There are hundreds of people who still have lies in their heads. Why? Because one person told it, one person has squared it up, and those other hundred people never heard that it was untrue. And until you get to that point, or until we get to that point, because there are things with us too, until we all get to that point together, we can never be an Eden-like community. We can never be that way. So I would propose to you that the only way forward is to make restitution. And guess what? You know, for as difficult as it was for the person who you sinned against to bear that sin, I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many lies have been told about me and my family. As difficult it was, as it was for my wife and for me to bear those sorts of things, it's going to be equally as difficult to go back and tell people that it was untrue. And that's part of restitution. That's part of making wrongs right. Okay? And that's the only way forward. And I could give you examples and examples and examples, but you know all the examples. So if you've written an email that's untrue, write another one. If you've talked to people and it's untrue, go talk to them again. You just can't, that's just not how we live together, okay? Go ahead, Karen. I don't know. Why do you think? I mean, it's actually an honest question. Um, uh, well, my gut feeling would be that um, we are in such a politically correct society that um, perhaps the church is getting caught up in that a little bit too and doesn't want to offend anyone. I think you might. I think you. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I would even push it further and say. Just as there's sort of a veneer in Wheaton, there's a veneer here. And I said, when AOR was here, one thing I do remember saying to them was, it's very difficult to pastor people in a city like Wheaton where there's always a veneer, partly because people can never admit that there's something wrong. And until you can admit that there's something wrong, it's very difficult to give pastoral care. So I think you're right. I think politically correct might be a nice way of saying there's a little bit of a veneer here, and we're, we're, still, we're still nervous about taking that down or, you know, knocking down the wall and saying, you know what, something really is wrong. I mean, you all know it, because you've all been around. But there are lots of people who don't know it, or who are still unwilling to sort of acknowledge it. So I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, Dan. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That was quickly. I was trying to dodge the penance question is what I was trying to do. Uh, my point was, 
You grew up Roman Catholic, yes? Yeah. When you went to confession, did the priest ever say to you, go do 10 Hail Marys yeah. and say that? Yeah, and he said, he said that to you, and you had to go do that before you were forgiven, right? right? Yeah, so your penance point came right here. Once you, little Dan, 12 years old, making your first confession, once you go out and do 10 Our Fathers, then you'll be forgiven. It's an if-then. Right. It's on you. What I'm suggesting is, after you've been forgiven, forgiveness is a full blast gift from God, but once you've been forgiven, in order to bring community back to its fullness, we actually have to go back and square things up. So it comes after forgiveness. Which means, guess what? It's not a good work in the same way. What's that? That's still too Catholic. Yeah, well, that, there are worse problems. Uh, yes, there are. What else? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. So what we've done, I think what you're suggesting is, what we've done is we've sort of uh, translated the world's way of absolution into the church. Right? I mean, if I cut in front of you at the line at the bus, and you're, I'm a pagan and you're not, I just say, I'm sorry, and we expect we're getting out on the bus and be fine. And we sort of, we, we interact that way in the church as well. But the church is not the world. We should be better than that. Yeah. In fact, I would even say probably people in the world sometimes are better at confession and forgiveness than we are. Right? Because there's always, I mean, that's just, people today know what this is. They, they really do, I think, understand what sin is. They understand when they've wronged somebody. And they're sort of quick to forgive. But if, unless you get to this point, you don't have community again. Good observation. What else? Anything else? Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right in this sense, which is it's more difficult in the church because there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. However, I would suggest that makes the joy that much greater when it actually occurs. So you're right. The pat, you know, you can't, you can't, you won't just forget what's happened, and you also have to go forward with people. But when it actually does occur, looking back on it, there'll sort of be this forgiven view of the past. Yeah, you know, that was tough for us, and we all came through it. But again, until you get to restitution, the past has never really gone away. That's the problem. The past has never gone until you make restitution. Yeah. I kind of think of it too as the restitution part is that there's a change in your life. That that was yeah. Exactly right. And that's one of the classic signs that repentance hasn't even occurred. When you sort of do something, you say you're sorry for it, and then you do the same thing again. I mean, you see that all the time. But look at the end of the psalm then, verse 11. So this is how he wraps up. He's basically said, David said, 
I've sinned a lot. I'm very sorry for all of it. Here are the things I've done. The Lord is merciful. He forgives. And then he says, I'll teach you how to live. Walk in my footsteps. Follow me. And then the new life point. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And there, uh, the rejoice is an imperative. Meaning, do this. This is how we live together. It's the same thing the angel says to Mary. Rejoice. Right? Why can he say that? Because everything's been turned upside down. Life is restored. Okay? So he says to you, be glad and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And that then becomes the key, as you heard in the epistle for today, the key to moving forward in love. I was struck that there were, love was mentioned so many times in the epistle. Uh, and yet, the culmination of the love talk, I think was verse 6, where he says, oh, verse 7, no, verse 6, love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth, which is striking. He says, remember he describes love in all these action terms. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings. It doesn't do wrong. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. But love rejoices in the truth. What is truth? Ten words. Truth is Christ. Okay? It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a person. Love rejoices in the truth. And that's ultimately the only way forward, to rejoice again in Christ. And Christ can only be fully enjoyed when you're back in Eden. Any concluding thoughts? We've got about four minutes left. Yeah. Um, reconciliation, like ambassador of reconciliation, is that synonymous with redemption and this whole process, or is there a, a distinction, or does reconciling fit on the circle, or is it just pretty much the whole thing? I think, I think you could call this a circle of reconciliation. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you read through their stuff, um, I think when they first came in, they found that this was the most difficult part, acknowledging that you have some sin and repentance. And now that they've talked to us a bit more, the reason you have reconcilers come in, if that's what we're going to do, is to get people to, uh, to this point, to the restitution. So relationships are squared up again. So what's happened, it's been a good thing. People have said, you know, we've probably done some things that were wrong. All of us have. Uh, but that's not the full shot. Full shot is restitution or reconciliation. What else? Anything else? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Yep, I agree. Yeah, her point is a very good one, which is the Lord calls you into his way. He helps you along the way. And the way you can be involved in restitution is to actually speak up and speak the truth in love. So think of it this way. Restitution is not just about the person who's been sinning. Restitution is a community-wide effort. Everybody has to be involved. You may not have sinned, and you may not have been sinned against, but when you hear it happen... You have to be ready to speak the truth gently and to just and, and also to say to people, you know what, that's that's actually not true. 
So let's go talk to the person you're talking about. I mean, that's what AOR said, go face to face, Matthew 18. So it is a community-wide effort. If we all just say, or if some of us just say, I've not sinned and I've not been sinned against, so I'm all clear now, you're not. <laughs> you're involved in the process, which is to speak the truth, to be an honest person, and when you hear rumors, to at least pose the question to the one they're talking about. Val, did you really not tithe last year? Val says, no, I gave 12%. Okay, you go back to the person who said it, and you say, you know what, I talked to Val. That's actually not true. Let's go face to face with Val, because obviously something must be broken here. What is it? So, you know, when AOR says you've got some reconcilers, that's very true. We got a community of reconcilers. All of you are involved in the process. You gonna be a little happier next week? We can talk to we can talk about Betty drinking and Val's tattoo and it is an imperative. Rejoice. Yeah, if you walk out of here and you're not rejoicing, well, read Psalm 32. All right, you got anything else? Thanks for your patience. Here's the thing, I know it can be painful, but joy comes on the other side of all this. I promise you, joy will come on the other side. We just gotta keep moving. All right? Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming.